Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. to you want to celebrate what God's been doing in that whole category. Really, uh, that conversation was a family-wide, just kind of a dinner table conversation about where we think God's moving us. Our desire to see more and more people step into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, to be on mission in our community. We feel like God has called our church. Many churches do many things. Our church is called to this community. And so we, we realize that a significant way we can increase our kingdom impact um, as well as meet the needs of the church is to work towards a 24-7 facility solution as a church. And so we're trusting in God uh, because there's nobody outside of us that makes this happen. We do this together. We're trusting in God that he would move in, in the midst of us, those who call Grace Fellowship Church home over the next three years above and beyond our normal giving to be able to fund something like that. And we've been celebrating how God's been doing that. We said from the beginning as walls fall down, our praises are gonna rise up. We also said we're gonna celebrate uh, not necessarily a final dollar number as much as everyone that calls our church home really participating on that. And so in the last seven days, we just wanna celebrate that an additional four families have stepped into participating either by giving or by committing that. That's a huge deal for us. We think that's amazing. And last week we had our biggest ever single offering that we've had at the church here. Around $25,000 came in. That's a huge, huge deal. And we just give God glory for that. That's significant. And if you're someone who calls this place home and you've not already participated with that, we wanna ask that everyone would, uh, would just consider how God would have them participate in that. And we've got some connection cards at the back of the room and there's opportunities at any level, at any level for someone to participate in that from a, a, a prayer, hey, we're gonna be a part of this to maybe God would do um, something else in your life in that area. So we'd ask you to participate in that. And then lastly, we're just gonna kind of give updates as they come in the whole category. There's no secrets here about how we're operating. And so we're, we're conversing. We've got a realtor that's, um, that's a godly person that believes in the mission of our church that's out there helping us find opportunities. And we're hoping in the next few weeks to strike up a conversation again with a conversation that had ran dry about a year ago, and that's the Carolina Coach Building. And so we don't know what's gonna happen, uh, but I am gonna ask you as a church body to be praying when things are clear and they're in front of us. We're just gonna offer it up in prayer and say, God, would you work, would you move, would you do something in that area? This last week I was in my chiropractor's office and as I walked in, um, he's, a, he's a godly guy and he was working with one of the patients that were there and, and this is what I overheard him saying because he was speaking loud enough. It's nothing, you know, private or whatever. And he just was praying over this woman who was evidently having some sort of financial woes and he prayed, I pray that God will just give your business a million dollars. Just give your business a million dollars. Right, you know, kind of what I thought in my head was, this is my cynical head, I'm sorry that my heart is this way sometimes. It's like, man, you know what I, I know to be true sometimes? It's like, 
If there are problems that we might have, a million dollars might help for a season, but you might end up in that situation all over again after the million dollars. But it interest, like, entered an interesting thought in my own head, a game that we used to play when I was little, and that is what would you do with a million dollars? It's like there's a song, if I had a million dollars, this is what I would do, right? And so for me, I mean, this is just what I would do. It made me think as I was sitting on my chiropractor table waiting for him to come adjust me. He's like, what would I do if I had a million dollars? Right? And maybe you could even talk about that on the way home. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I know what I would do. I'd pay off my house. You know, I would probably buy a reliable truck. That's a significant chunk of change. And, and I'd say, all right, we really want a church building. So here, you know, let's just let's lump on there half a million dollars there. And, and, I'd, and I'd probably put some money aside for my children's college fund and whatever was left. I would just put that in retirement. And then, you know, what, what could that help us weather if we had that? That's what I would spend a million dollars on. But what would you spend a million dollars on? Anyone? A liger. <laughs> half tiger, half lion. Wow. Uh, I just pay off my debts. You have debts? That's amazing. Do you need, we need to have a conversation, son. It's <laughs> my favorite one yet. Okay. What else would you do with a million dollars? Oh, that's amazing. Lord of the Rings tour, New Zealand. Yeah. Take a friend. Yeah. Church-wide trip. Here we go. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. How you answer that question reveals if you're a, a spender or a saver. A spender, are you a saver? Are you a spender or are you a saver, right? Here's what a spender can think is think about all the fun we could have if we had a million dollars, you know? After taxes, you know, we could go on vacations, you know? Uh, we could buy a Liger. Maybe that's uh, something Chris deeply wants inside, you know? You know, spenders, I, I know in my heart when I'm, when I'm sometimes, sometimes when I'm feeling stressed, at the end of the day, it's like, I just want to go spend money and buy something. Like I, I want to go to that store. I want to get something because I just need to distract my mind from the stresses and the anxieties that I'm experiencing right now. Maybe I'm the only one that spends that way, but it's kind of like a little bit of a shot in the arm, a little bit of like, I feel bad. Let's go buy some shoes, right? Like that can happen. We can spend that way. And the challenge is like, okay, you've spent all the money. You still feel bad. Now, you know, now, now what? Or, or there are those people who are like, I'm not a spender, I'm a saver. I'm going to take that money. Yeah, I've got someone in my family that's that way. I would rather have that money because think of all the storms that we could weather if we had a million dollars in the bank. I mean, at that point, you're self-insured. You know, if someone gets sick, if I lose my job, it's not a big deal if the car breaks down. Think about all the storms that we can actually weather. There's very little that I can't handle if we had that kind of, of money. Are you a spender? Are you a saver? I think in both cases, Here's what money does to our hearts, our minds, our guts, our anxiety is this like, I have this anxiety, this worry, this fear. I have this fear like, well, what if something bad happens? You know what I need? I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more to, to kind of absorb that. You know, the pack of wolves are coming after me. If I just buffet myself well enough, I'll be able to defend against them financially. Or, or the money is like the, I, I deserve this. I feel anxiety. This is how I'm going to deal with that. What's, what's your relationship with money? Where do you end up in that conversation? So we kind of start out this weekend. I, I want to remind us about a series that we're in, a short series. It's called Finding Your Sweet Spot. And it's a prayer based out of 
um, the book of Proverbs from a guy who had all sorts of wisdom, who had all sorts of skill for living, a guy who had watched the world go by and learned some stuff, and he offers us some life lessons and the kind of life lessons that when you apply them, as you grow older, you grow wiser, you grow finer, and life becomes a little bit sweeter. And this guy's name is Agur. Probably, if you've never heard about him, I don't want you to feel foolish because I had never heard about him either. He only shows up one place in scripture and that's in Proverbs chapter 30. And this is how he starts out kind of his one entry into scripture. He starts out saying, I am weary. I'm looking at the world and I feel worn down. I feel weary. It's not just what other people are doing because they're all idiots. You know, it's what I'm doing because sometimes I can be idiotic as well. And these shortcomings that I have, these personality quirks, these things I keep running back to, it frustrates me. He says, I am weary. And so what he sets into is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs where he asks God to help him with some of these personality quirks, some of these shortcomings that he has. So turn in the orange Bible underneath your seats to page 454. If you don't have a Bible, please keep it. It's our gift to you. And this is what he offers up, this prayer that he offers up. He says this. He says, two things I ask of you. Lord, don't refuse me before I die. Now, we can even just pause there and gain a lot from this. Is notice Agur, when he shows up, he doesn't pontificate with lots of fancy language. He has a simple, simple prayer. He doesn't try to impress God with complicated words or lengthy prayers. In fact, he just says, there are two things, God, that I'm dealing with. Two things that I'm dealing with. Two things that will bring me peace, that will help me out in my sweet spot. God, I'm spiritually desperate in this situation, in this area of my life. Now, spiritual desperation is always the catalyst of God's movement in our hearts and in our lives. So that's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that are spiritually impoverished. Then he says this, God, keep falsehood and lies far from me. That's what we talked about last week. Not just the words that I speak, to let them be true, but let who I am be true. I don't, I don't want to communicate. I don't want to be a lie with who I am in relationships and how I present myself. So evidently, for Agur, he was experiencing himself maybe having this truthfulness issue, this, this putting on like a, being duplicitous with other people. Maybe he was on the receiving end of that. So he says, just keep that far from me. But then he kind of, he talks about the other significant issue that he has in his life, and this is what he says. Give me neither poverty nor riches. That's the song. The song is just that scripture set to word, to song. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. He says, otherwise I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So he flags, hey, this is the second heartache in my life is owning stuff or stuff owning me. What I find so surprising is actually not his first request, like God don't give me poverty, like most of us would accept that kind of prayer. It's generally good to have clothes, it's good to have a home, it's good to have food that we can eat, so that makes all the sense in the world. No one wants to be in poverty. In fact, most of our modern hero stories are the poor person who has become rich 
It's usually not the rich boy who becomes poor, but it's the poor boy who becomes rich. But what he says next to me, that's the real stunner, because this is what he says. He says, give me neither poverty nor give me riches. God, I don't want to be rich. Can it, do, any of us, do any of us pray that prayer? Like it's a stunner, it really is, because this is what he's praying for. He's praying, give me a life of moderation. Give me a life of moderation. Listen, that's not on anyone's checklist. It's certainly not in the 21st century. For us, more is better. We live in an age of extremes. More house, more car, more closet space, more shelves for trophies, more activities, more responsibilities so that you can gain all more of that stuff. And I I was discussing this with my wife and we were kind of acknowledging that there might be a, a segment of our culture that maybe swings on the other side of that and so they would say we're minimalists you know we don't want all the clutter we don't want all this stuff no credit card debt just cut that out of my life and I'm going to live in a hammock in the woods and just eat oats all day long like there might be some of those people but if we're honest I don't know anyone here that struggles with that I don't know anyone in my life that struggles with that like the cultural undertow is always going to be pulling us to more stuff That's just the society that we want to live in. And we believe that getting equals being. So if I want to be more, I have to get more. So listen, Agur is not looking at the world and he's not saying, hey, it's just live in a hammock and eat oats the whole day. And he's also not saying wealth and influence is going to define success. Instead, he says that's neither fast nor slow, neither big nor small, neither fancy nor simple. This endearing friend identified a sweet spot right in the middle, this perfect balance of getting what you need and needing what you get. How does he sum that up? He calls it my daily bread. My daily bread. Now for us, that just feels like a food item, but for these ancient readers, and this is an ancient book written to ancient people thousands of years ago. To these ancient readers, that word actually had a tremendous amount of weight and meaning. In fact, this is something that Jesus even quoted. Jesus quoted him and said, give us, as he was teaching his disciples to pray, they said, Lord, teach me how to pray. And he said, well, pray, God, give us our daily bread. So even Jesus' audience knew that there was meaning behind all of that because it was a part of their cultural narrative, the history of Israel, how God had provided for them. Now just quickly to, to give a snapshot of why that was so meaningful to them. Because the nation of Israel was being held captive by the Egyptians for 400 years. They had grown numerous. God had blessed them. There's up to uh, historians um, look at that and believe that there was maybe in the neighborhood of a million men, women, and children living in Egypt. And the Egyptians looked at that and said, man, there's a lot of people. They're going to like rise against us. We have to keep them oppressed. And so they turned them into slave labor, like hard, like chattel slavery. And, and they would be laboring out in the sun and they've cried out to God. God deliver us. God sends Moses. Moses comes with the staff, the 10 plagues. Pharaoh lets them go. But now this a million people are now out in the hot, arid desert where there's not food and there's no water. And all of a sudden, you know what they start to do? They start to complain. They start to complain. In fact, Numbers 11 Uh, It uses a word that I think is really, uh, I I like the word that Numbers 11 uses. It it calls them the rabble. 
<laughs> because there was just this murmuring, this complaint that happens. I was talking with Amanda this morning and she said in Spanish, what was it Amanda? In Spanish, what does complain mean? Yeah, so it's not just being launched up into the air, but it has like a, a target. Someone's receiving that, and these people that were the rabble in, in Numbers 11, they were complaining to God, and here's what they complained. God, we may have been slaves, but at least we had food and water. Here, we're just going to die out in the wilderness. You don't love us. You don't care about us. And they complain to God. God is the subject of their complaint. God, this is where it's heading. You know, the ob- I don't know maybe it's object. Maybe that's the right grammar there. But th- this, is, this is what it, it, it's aiming at God. Now, what's amazing to me is that God responds to their complaint. That's so counterintuitive to me because when someone complains to me, like when my kids complain to me, I'm like, get out of here, you ungrateful thing, you know? Like, I don't respond real great to complaint, but God actually responds to them. And he responds to them and he provides for them. Now listen, some of us are so disconnected from God that we don't even offer up the request to God. We don't even say, God, I'm really frustrated in work. God, I'm really frustrated. Our finances are in this place. I'm, I feel like I can't meet my health goals. Look at my marriage. Look what. Some of us are so disconnected that we don't even bring and we don't even voice what we're feeling, what we experience to him. This is what Numbers 11 tells me is that even sometimes when our hearts are ugly, God still responds to us and he still hears us and he still cares about us. Now, a little bit of a times because as we think about the complaint of these people, there's a difference between a a prayer of faithfulness, like a faithful prayer says, God, this is who you say you are, be who you say you are. And then there's the faithless prayer, God, you're not this, God, you've always abandoned, God, why? So God was gracious to them, but I don't want you to forget that it was the mumbling and the complaining of Israel that made God open the ground and swallow thousands of them in one day. So I'm just saying, be careful with your complaints. Right? Voice your requests before God. He wants that. But let it always be, God, I believe this is who you say you are. God, you're going to provide for me. You've done it in the past. Look at what you did. You just took us out of the nation of Israel, uh, the nation of Egypt. You've sustained us. God, I believe you're going to do that in the future. God does this. He responds to their request by bringing meat. Bringing meat. Numbers 11 says this. It says that a north wind blew off the sea and quail, right? Like, like a fowl. Like I, I've never eaten quail. Has anyone ever eaten quail before? Maybe it's good. I don't know. Is that Alaska thing? Is there a lot of quail up there? Okay. So they said that a north wind blew quail off of the ocean and, and two cubits. So that's like I don't know, three feet, three, four feet of quail is all over the the camp, right? And they had to go and they had to take that and they had to render it down and maybe they salted it so it would last a while. But they, all they knew was they called out to God, God in heaven, provide for us. Now, we look at it rationally like maybe there was a migration of quail and the north wind blew and you know, it like naturally happened. But all they understood in their ancient mind was God, we called out to you to provide. And from heaven, literally from heaven, the quail came and fed us and provided for us. Now, Bible nerds look at this and, and we don't have any um, understanding that that happened time after time after time. It was a one-time thing. And those quail, they like had to give up their life to supply for the needs of the people. Bible nerds look at that and kind of go, hey, look at that, it's a picture of Christ. Christ came down from heaven, provided our needs, died once and for all, and, and it was sustaining and it was nourishing. 
Not only did God send the quail, he also did something else. In, in Exodus chapter 16, if you want to follow along, there'll be a number of verses here. It's page 49. Exodus 16, it says that God did something else for them too. It said, that evening quail came, covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Now, did everyone see the frost out this morning? That was kind of cool, right? It was neat. It's like, oh, this is that season. It's really neat, right? It says that there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? They didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This was their daily bread that God provided for them to make it through each day. God supplied their needs. And, and, and they had to plan their day out. They had to say, we have to gather this up. This is what it says. The Lord commanded them, everyone's to gather as much as they need. So they had to go out and gather God's providence and bring it back into their tent. It wasn't just God supply food for me and boom, it's on the table and we're just ready to eat. God supplied it and they had to go gather it. All right, this is, there's some people that would say, God, would you just provide my need and I'm not gonna work, I'm not gonna try to get a job, I'm not gonna be diligent, I'm not gonna be wise. God, why won't you provide for me? God's saying, I gave you hands that work. You have a mind, apply yourself, go out and, 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 and gather and prepare, plan out your day. See, the Christian faith is an active faith. We have to trust that God's gonna provide but faith without actions is dead, James says. We prepare the horse for battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. That's what we've been saying for the last month or so. So what that means is we're gonna trust, God, you're going to provide for us financially and I'm gonna be careful in how I spend my money. So I'm gonna like, be, be careful in where I go shopping for groceries and what kind of groceries I'm gonna shop. I'm gonna trust and provide, God, you're gonna help my car have, like, get high mileage and I'm gonna change the oil and pay attention to the tires. See, it's, it's, it's not faith at the exclusion of works. It works not at the exclusion of faith. It's both of them coming together. And this is the instruction that they were given is that they would take an omer. Now, an omer is a unit of measurement, about three pounds. So three pounds of this flaky stuff they had to go and they would provide. And they would get an omer of it for every person in the camp. This is what he says. He says, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much. Some gathered little. And when, but when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little didn't have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning, because you know what I think they were tempted to do, is they would think, wow, God provided this stuff on the ground, this is great. And I know he gave us the quail, and I know he walked us across the Red Sea, and I know he delivered us from the Egyptians, but I'm gonna take enough for today, but what about tomorrow? So I need to take enough for tomorrow and maybe the day after that because I don't know that God's really gonna provide for us then the way that he provided for us now. So I'm gonna take extra. And this is what, <laughs> this is what it said happened. Moses says, don't keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it till the morning. And listen what happened. But it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed and when the sun grew hot it melted 
away. It's supernatural stuff, right? When they chose to hang on to it, you know what happened? It rotted and it spoiled and it became nasty. I don't really trust God that you're gonna provide for tomorrow, so I'm gonna take more. I'm gonna take more and more. I'm gonna get as much as I can possibly take because I really don't, I really don't trust you. We're not dealing with manna. That was some special stuff, right? But I, I know, and I just experienced this so much, like I'm gonna get more, I'm gonna get more, but then the car rusts and the roof falls apart and the water heater does its thing and everything we gather up is gonna eventually rot and spoil and melt away in the sun. It just is. We can't save enough. We can't gather enough to deal with every circumstance, every, salu- every problem that we have. He says, don't take more than what you can use in one day. Verse 31, we'll forward a little bit. He says, the people of Israel called the bread manna, which means what is it? It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. That sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? That sounds neat. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Now, he says, take an omer of manna. Remember, that's one, one person's one day allotment. I want you to take that, and I, and I want you to keep it for generations to come so that they can see the bread that I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. Now, remember, it melted in the sun every single day. It spoiled and rotten, but God says, I want you to gather some. I'm gonna keep it supernatural. And what they did was they placed that in the Ark of the Covenant, which was the representation of God's presence amongst the people of Israel. We don't need that now. We have the Holy Spirit in us, but for them, the Ark of the Covenant is a big deal. Think like Indiana Jones and the last Ark, right? Is that what it was? was? Raiders, Raiders of the last Ark, maybe that's what it was. Lost Ark, one of those things, right? The Ark of the Covenant, right? It had the tablets of stone from Moses coming down off of Mount Sinai. It had Aaron's staff. It had the, the manna that reminded them, hey, this is how God provided for us because here's what they knew was going to happen. Here's what God knew was gonna happen. He knew that they were going to forget. I mean, he sends quail in from the ocean three feet high. God, we, we're complaining to you. God provides that kind of meat. And then it's like, well, meat's great, but can't we have some carbs? And they go out, and there's like frosted flakes with honey on it and the dew, and it evaporates. And yet they wanted to gather it and hoard it, thinking God's not really gonna provide for tomorrow. He says, don't forget. Don't forget how God's provided for you in the past. In fact, in fact, when Moses was kind of finishing his ministry, he was getting ready to die, he hands over the, re- the reins to Joshua. Joshua's getting ready to walk them into the promised land. And Moses gives the people of Israel a commission. And this is what he says to them. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give to you a land with large, flourishing cities you didn't build and houses filled with all courts of good things that you didn't provide, wells you did not dig, and a vineyard and olive groves you didn't plant. Then when you're eat and you're satisfied, this is what he says, be careful that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt into the land of slavery. Turns out, God knew and Moses knew that when we get stuff and when we make that our foundation, 
whether spending to deal with our anxiety, whether saving to deal with the bumps that are gonna come, when we make that our foundation, when we have stuff, it affects us. We can forget where it actually came from and we can miscalculate our own strength. This is why Aguirre said this. This is why he said, give me neither poverty nor riches, but only give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much. Well, how much is too much? It's more than your daily bread. When I start making the accumulation of stuff, my source and my security, he says, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? God, I don't, I don't need you. By the way, I, I found that to be abundantly true in my life. Those times where it's like, God, I don't know how we're gonna make it, financially, resource-wise, God, we're calling on you, we're crying out to you. That's when I felt the most peace inside. That's when we were in those dark nights and valleys of the soul, God, we, we're, we have concerns. <laughs> where I felt the closest to him, where I felt the Spirit's presence in my life more than any other time, was when we were in a place of needing him. And so the inverse can often be true. When we've got it down, when we've got it conquered, God, I don't need you. I don't need you. And this is what he was worried about. He says, or if I have poverty, I might become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Give me neither poverty, don't give me riches, but give me moderation. Give me my daily bread, these things that you've provided for me, a way to meet these actual needs that I have. God, you provide that for me. So let me ask you a question. There's not like a crazy takeaway today. There's just, can you pray that prayer? Like, can we take that and internalize that? And when we think about our needs, can we pray, God, give me neither poverty? I got that one. I can pray that. God, don't make me rich either and forget you. I don't want to forget you. I, I, have, I have a hard time praying that, if I'm really honest. Like, uh, in my simple brain, the, the solution to the problems that I have is just more stuff. If we just had another car, if we just had more money, it's hard for me to pray that. But if I, if I had more money, I, I just know that it would be easier for me to rely on myself and not call upon God, not experience his presence, start to act independently from him. And that's actually what was the undoing of the nation of Israel, was they forgot about their Lord. That, that, that caution that Moses gave them, be careful that you don't forget. Man, they, they forgot. And so Agur is looking at this well after that time of Israel and realizing the people had forgotten about God and he says, I don't, I don't want that to be true for me. See, what he recognized were his own spiritual fatalities. His own spiritual fatalities, weaknesses that he might have. And you know what, I might make it to the end of my life but I'll be empty, I'll be shallow, I'll be far from you, God. I don't want that to be true. I'll be a shell of existence. I'll be operating on the extremes and I don't want that. I wanna be in my sweet spot between these two things in moderation, my daily bread. You know, there's a, there's a principle I think here because Aguirre had his weakness, materialism, and deceit. 
But let's stop talking about a gear for a moment. Let's, let's bring it to maybe where you and I might live because maybe greed is your thing. I, I, I get that, right? Maybe that's your thing, but it's possible that we have other things in our lives where we would say, you know, if I could just have this, if I could just have the house that I've always wanted, if I could just have Mr. Right and then I can get married, my mom will get off my back and I can have the children and I won't be alone the rest of my life. If I can just finally get rid of my love handles, you know, my physique and the way that I look, that's really what I want out of life. And if I could just have that, then I'll finally accomplish what I want to accomplish. If I could just have that career advancement and finally hit that position where I've got a team that's big enough or then, then, I'll, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll be whole. You know, maybe, maybe it's like, I, 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 just, I just want this certain level of, of sexuality and express my sexuality, and if I could just have that, then I'll finally accomplish what I want to accomplish. You know, we can define ourselves by these things. Now, what's fascinating is Aguirre doesn't say, listen, stuff is wrong or stuff is bad. He doesn't say that. You know, there can be a twisting. I mean, I could stand in front of you and read scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture of saying, you know, beware of riches, beware of riches, better is the poor person. And, and, but scripture, when you look at it holistically, God does not say all of that stuff is evil and it's wrong because he regularly would bless Abraham and he would bless Lot and he would bless David and Solomon and Saul. He would bless people with ble- like material things, things that were enjoyable for them. God wouldn't give it to them if it was ultimately this evil thing. He, he doesn't say any of these things are, are bad or wrong. So listen, when it, when, it, when it comes to these things that we feel our hearts are drawn into, this, the sticky, deceptive, hard part about this is many times they are good things. It's a good thing to want health. It's a good thing to take care of your body. Right? That's, that's a blessed thing. It, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. First Timothy says that training our bodies is actually a good thing. Our careers, they're great things. The book of Ecclesiastes says that it's great to have accomplishment from a day's hard work. So do that. Having meaningful relationships all throughout the Old and the New Testament. Talk about what it means to have agape love and phileo love for one another. Those are good things. God created us as sexual beings and has the power to bond two people together and bring warmth and value to the home and benefit. It's the most sacred and holy of things. Those are good things. All of those things are good things, but listen, when we make them ultimate things, when they become the thing that says, that's how I'm gonna deal with stress in life, is by greed or by sex or by food. That's how I'm gonna anesthetize my pain, by seeking adventure or by burying myself in my work. When those good things become ultimate things, then they become God things, and then they become bad things for us. This is what, and we've talked about this before, this is what St. Augustine talked about being disordered loves. When I love my spouse ahead of God, it's disordered. It's a good thing, but when it becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. When I love money, which God gives us to use, when I love that more than God, that's a, a bad thing, it becomes idolatry. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that can be theirs, Jonah tells us. When good things become ultimate things, they become bad things. So listen, when, when sex starts to define us, this good thing becomes a bad thing. When, when ministry starts to define me, a good thing becomes a bad thing because it's the most important thing to me. Does that make sense? That's what Aguirre is dealing with. He's saying, I don't want poverty. I don't want what that's gonna do to me. 
But if I have riches, then this thing that my heart is drawn into, I make it the most important thing in my life and, and that's, going to, that's going to flip me into a place of idolatry and I don't want to forget I don't want to forget the Lord. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but only give me my daily bread. Because listen, when it comes to these things in our lives, our career, our sexuality, our hobbies, our food, God has given us a daily bread in those areas. And, And that's how he's seen fit that those needs would be met in our lives. When it becomes everything to us, then it becomes poisonous to us and so he would look at these God ordained ways of providing for him and he would be looking for now you ready for this word here it is contentment to be content with what you have our sweet spot our sweet spot in life is going to come where we say God I don't want poverty I don't want riches I I don't want to be starving but I also don't want to be gluttonous You've provided for me. Help me to be content with that. God, you've given me this career. Help me find meaning in it, but don't let it be everything to me. Listen, God, you've given God-ordained healthy ways to express sexuality, a New Testament marriage between one man and one woman, and when I operate outside of that, God, then it's becoming everything to me, and I'm forgetting who you are. God, you've given me food to eat. Help me to eat what I enjoy and enjoy what I eat. But God, if that becomes everything to me, now I'm, I'm a glutton. I don't want to do that. I also don't want to be like, like in this like land of I can't eat anything and if I do then I'll feel guilty about everything, which sometimes I look at some of the diets that we pick up and it's like are we just coming back into a place of legalism rather than receiving something with thanksgiving that God's blessed in our lives. So the ask is really, really simple. Can we pray that prayer? God, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither starvation nor gluttony. Can, can we pray that? And I would just ask the question as we think about this principle in our lives, like what's that area for us where we'd be tempted to think, God, if I just had this, then my life would be better. If I had this position, if we just had some more, my life would be better. Would you just say to God, God, give me neither poverty nor riches. Teach me contentment. Give me my daily bread. So for my cars, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me my daily bread. For my career, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me my daily bread. And what it calls upon us to do is to work wisely, to live generously, and to trust God. To work wisely, to live generously, and to trust God. Not too much, not too little, just right in the middle. That's contentment, that's gratitude, that's thanksgiving, and that's our sweet spot. Let me pray for you, and then we'll respond just quickly in worship here together. God, thanks for these words from Magur. It it seems like this moderation is a way of life that actually makes a lot of sense. It's not pulled to the extremes of, God, you never want me to have anything good, and so I'm just going to wallow in the mud, and that's not it. That's not what you want for us, Lord. God, meanwhile, I know that there are people today here in this space that are realistically struggling with tremendous needs physically and their health and relationships. And, and so that same prayer that Aguirre offers that we kind of bring as a principle into these areas of our lives, um, God, we, we pray your provisions for them, for health. Okay, we pray provisions for those people who are who really are struggling with their resource and material needs. 
God, would you provide for them? Would you bring them their daily bread? Help them to see it and act and worship appropriately to operate in trust. Help all of us to live in that place. God, that sweet spot of trusting in you. God, we pray your blessing on these people. Lord, would you, uh, would you move us to this place of gratitude, contentment, even as we enter into kind of a holiday season in the next couple of weeks, Lord, uh, would you move us to a place where we're just so grateful for all that you've given us and give us a heart of contentment before you. God, we love you, we praise you. We pray this in Christ's name.